the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, August 1st, 2022. Uh, breaking news is that Ayman al-Zawahiri, uh, formerly the number two and until today the number one leader of al-Qaeda, has been killed by a U.S. drone strike. God bless the United States military and intelligence agencies that took care of that business for us and for freedom. I'll have something more to say about that in a few moments. There's a lot going on in the world, and I'll start by saying this. When the United Nations recognized the People's Republic of China and the price was to throw out of the United Nations the Republic of China, that is to say, when the United Nations recognized a communist and Maoist state, to do so, it had to toss out its democratic rival, Taiwan. The gaggle of third world authoritarianism would not and could not exist side by side with an ideological rival maintaining Western values. To them, Taiwan could not and should not exist at all. This was some level of authoritarian arrogance and bumptiousness when the orientation of values should have been that communist China shouldn't exist at all. But exist it did, credibility was given, and the cost, the price, was that of Taiwan. To see what the world we live in supports and recognizes is to see this. Taiwan is seen by the world bodies as the outcast and the pariah. And yet, it has a Freedom House score of 94 out of 100. The higher the number, the more free. The United States is 83 out of 100. The first sentence on Taiwan in Freedom House's annual report is this, quote, Taiwan's vibrant and competitive democratic system has allowed three peaceful transfers of power between the rival parties since 2000 and protections for civil liberties are generally robust, close quote. That's Taiwan. Communist China, the representative at the United Nations, the country Primus Interparis in Asia, the UN, and increasingly throughout the world, the country that wants Taiwan to exist as much as the Palestinians want Israel to exist, has a Freedom House score of 9 out of 100. The first sentence on China in Freedom House's annual report is this, quote, China's authoritarian regime has become increasingly repressive in recent years. You want a second sentence? The ruling Chinese Communist Party continues to tighten control over all aspects of life and governance, including the state bureaucracy, the media, online speech, religious practice, universities, businesses, and civil society associations. associations. And it has undermined an earlier series of modest rule of law reforms. You want one last third sentence? The CCP leader and state president, Xi Jinping, has consolidated personal power to a degree not seen in China for decades. Human rights activists and lawyers continue to speak out, though at great personal cost. Close quote. 
And so the angst throughout the world today and at the State Department, the United States, is whether U.S. Speaker of the House of Representatives can pay a visit to the free country, Taiwan, without some sanction, military or otherwise, from the tyrannical one. Back in 1971, there was, as helped created by William F. Buckley, the Committee of One Million, a large assortment of signatories actually ending up exceeding one million Americans organized to oppose the seating of the People's Republic of China in the U.N. Among other things, they put it that, quote, such admission would make a mockery of the Charter of the United Nations and further strengthen the communist world against the free world, close quote. I think in the annals of foreign policy statements and predictions, few have ever been more true and truer by the day for the past 51 years. And so the angst throughout the world today is whether the U.S. Speaker of the House of Representatives can pay a visit to the free country, Taiwan, without some sanction, military or otherwise, from the tyrannical one. When news of Speaker Pelosi's trip broke, a phone call was prompted between the communist head of China, Xi Jinping, and President Joe Biden. Mr. Jinping told the President of the United States that China would safeguard national sovereignty, describing it, quote, as the unbending will of 1.4 billion Chinese people, and that, quote, those who play with fire will perish by it, close quote. In case it needed clarification, and with this White House, one cannot assume it doesn't, Mr. Jinping was not vocalizing concerns about his own pyromania. One of the biggest foreign policy debates in the 1970s after the recognition of communist China was over the Panama Canal. Even conservatives were of mixed mind on it. But after 1975 and our humiliating withdrawal from Saigon, the, U the United States and its interests were so discounted that revolutionary Marxist Soviet-backed movements became governments as they steadily took over about two dozen country, excuse me, about a dozen countries. The mood in conservatism then, as perhaps in and throughout broader America, was described this way in 1978 by Bill Buckley in the Panama Canal debate. He said, Governor Reagan put his finger on it when he said the reason this treaty is unpopular is because we're tired of being pushed around. We were pushed out of Vietnam because we didn't have the guts to go in there and do it right. We're prepared, as it was said, to desert Taiwan because three and a half Harvard professors think we ought to normalize our relations with Red China. We are prepared to allow 16 semi-savage countries to cartelize the oil that is indispensable to the entire industrial might of the West because we don't have a diplomacy that's firm enough to do something about it. And therefore, how do we get our kicks? How do we get our kicks? I say... When I am in a mood to say no, representing the United States, I want to be looking the Soviet Union in the face and say no to the Soviet Union next time it wants to send its tanks running over students who want freedom in Czechoslovakia. I want to say no to China when it subsidizes genocide in Cambodia or elsewhere on a scale that has not been known in this century, rather than simply forget that it exists. I don't want to feel that the United States has to affirm its independence by throwing away its powers because it is all part of the same syndrome, close quote. Sound familiar to today? There certainly is from China more subsidized genocide, and China is yet more powerful while the United States is yet weaker. Who are we able to say no to today? 
We served up Afghanistan to what was our enemy, the Taliban, that housed the greatest and worst terrorist organization to ever launch and execute a plot against the United States. And we gave them billions of dollars worth of our arms, from rifles to Black Hawk Hawk helicopters, even as the same administration is trying to take away lesser weapons from law-abiding and patriotic United States citizens. Oh, and we gave them some of their government, too. Five former detainees we held at Guantanamo. At least we didn't staff the Khmer Rouge or Vietnamese communists with their government. By we, I mean the Obama and Biden administrations. Meanwhile, leading up to the Speaker's Asia trip, Joe Biden helpfully showed who's kicking who around. I say that sarcastically, for when he publicly stated our military does not think it's a good idea for Nancy Pelosi to visit Taiwan right now, you have to ask, what could he have possibly been thinking? Of course, Joe Biden used the military as a source of his advice. You know, the same military led by a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who said that to better understand white rage in America, he read Mao Zedong, Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin. But off Horshiari and all course, the headline was that Biden does not think it a good idea for Nancy Pelosi to visit Taiwan. We are in the soup, really primordial sludge, having seemingly unlearned every expensive lesson of the mid to late 1970s. We let North Vietnam kick us around and the Democrats served up that abandonment by cutting off all war funding in order to weaken the then Republican president. And we became paralyzed, feckless and a laughingstock on the world stage. So much so, nothing could stop the march of communism. Now, we let Afghanistan and China and every other country in the world that wants to kick us around. Even the president of Mexico can stick Joe Biden in the eye as much as the Saudi princes, both of whose countries' existence could and would simply not exist but for the United States of America. Aristotle put it, That power is the ability to be and to make things be. Power, however, is not invented. It exists. And even among the communion of the weak or the pacifists, there is always a strongest and there is always a weakest. There is always a power center and there is always a power source. Heck, who knew Albania would be the dictating country throwing out Taiwan and installing Red China in the United Nations in 1971? But it was Albania, and our power listeth. Making America great again, at a minimum, must include American power, puissance, and feck. And that, at a minimum, must include a president and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of our military who broadcast our internal doubts and public weaknesses and obeisance to the Communist Chinese Party. But we don't have that president or chairman of the Joint Chiefs right now. And so we may very well well end up with the very situation one sees it already with American hostages in Russia, where the once allies of ours in Southeast Asia and elsewhere, as a result of our follies in Southeast Asia, we end up saying it is far more expensive and costly to be an ally of America than an enemy. Joe Biden, as a senator, voted to pull the financial plug on our gains in Vietnam in 1975, leading to our humiliating evacuation and the plunder of our allies by our enemies. I guess the best one can say about our president right now is, yes, at least he's experienced. 
I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the Midas Gold Group. Every day, more harmful decisions by the current administration are hurting the economy, robbing your savings and investments, worth inflation now at a 41-year high, making your money and savings worth less and less. And now we're debating whether we're in a recession or not. It doesn't need to be debated. You can see it all around you. The good news is when investments fall, gold traditionally holds its value, which is why I recommend calling the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, to talk about safeguarding your wealth with physical gold or other precious metals. I own metals from from uh, Midas Gold Group. Seb Gorka does. Thousands of you already do. If you'd like to talk to them, check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com or give them a buzz at 480 360 I want to say something um, about the killing and death of Ayman al-Zawahiri, who for many years was the number two of al-Qaeda and who was, until the news came today, the number one leader of al-Qaeda. There's a lot wrapped up in this and a lot, I think, that we may have forgotten. First, I find it interesting, and we can debate this or discuss it a little bit later, but I find it interesting that in the CNN story, in the New York Times story, in the Washington Post story, in those three major stories on Zawahiri, there are two words that are not mentioned at all in any of them. Long stories, stories they probably had prepped a long time ago, waiting to just update a little bit. You want to guess what words are not in those stories, Bill? Two words in none of those stories, Islam or Muslim. Kind of interesting, that, because it took me back to what Barack Obama said in 2011, which was that bin Laden himself was not a Muslim leader. And he stuck to that because America was so very concerned with offending radical Islamist sympathies, evidently. And yet no one could explain to me why, if he was not a Muslim leader, he was afforded a ritual Orthodox Muslim burial at the behest of the Commander-in-Chief and the United States Navy. Why was he given such if he weren't a Muslim leader? We can come back to the whitewashing of what ideology has been fueling the fight against the United States, primarily in the effect of terrorism. Another thing I don't want us to forget. Zawahiri was not unfamiliar with America itself. Of course, having studied it, did you know he also traveled here in the late 1990s when Bill Clinton was president, raising funds for his cause in California? Did you know that? Not many do. And then a final and important thing that I don't want our culture to forget because it easily falls prey to this, which is the foolish notion that terrorism is caused by poverty. Terrorism is caused by the uneducated. And thus the answer is to unwealth and better educate. Let me tell you something. Educate in what? 
and then welcome them with what? Zawahiri was a trained physician. A great many terrorists the West has known and suffered from were trained physicians, if not lawyers. George Habash, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. Fatih Shikaki, founder of Palestinian Islamic Jihad. All doctors. I can give you more. Many of the terrorists that were popular after 9-11 were children of engineers and famous academics. It's an interesting point that we shall not lose. I hope shall not lose sight of. I hope because too much pain has been caused in the world of this terrorism. Too much pain that even when the United States is immune from it because of our borders, because of our uh, intelligence services, because of our national security apparatus, the terrorism that has been involved and that has been inspired by Islamic radical viewpoints and ideologies has created more of it without a counter-narrative, without a counter-narrative. The counter-narrative would be, of course, the strength of the West. What have Western leaders done with the strength of the West? They've turned it into a nullity. They've turned it into a mush. You cannot fight something strong with something weak, and you cannot fight something with nothing. You cannot break a bottle and then wonder how to put the genie back into it. The Zawahiris of the world is an enemy representation and teaching that straps bombs to children, shoots nuns and burns churches throughout Africa, blows up subways throughout Europe and bombs trains and kills documentarians and will put a price on the head of cartoonists. They go on hotel and synagogue shooting rampages throughout the world, even in India, and they engage in and justify honor killings from Amman, Jordan, to yes, even here in Irving, Texas, and so much more. Theirs is an ideology that, if you think it comes from nowhere, needs to be looked at again, because it's not just a radical interpretation of Islam. It's not just that. Read Paul Berman's book, Terrorism and Liberalism, and look at how the bin Ladens of the world and the Zawahiris of the world and those that have invaded and ruined places like Lebanon of the world were inspired by fascist and communist ideologies of the 19th and 20th centuries. Zudi Jasser speaks of the green-red axis. Green is radical Islam. Red, you know what that means. It's there. It is a toxic combination of an ideology poised against us still, poised against us still, where the worst of it is we have adopted and accepted too many of their arguments, where have we imposed very few of ours on them. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 34 past the hour. We are delighted to bring in John Dombrowski with our culture and economy update. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. 
Also has his own radio show heard every Saturday morning right here at 7 a.m. called The Word on Wealth. John, happy Monday. How are you? I'm fantastic. How about you, Seth? I'm doing just fine. Super. Thank you. On Friday, yes. all major indexes gained. Mm-hmm. Today, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, talk to us a well, little we had bit. Three, First we, day of August. Yeah. First day of August, we had uh, the press the past three days uh, of the market, which was Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of last week. Uh, the markets were higher. Uh, so we had a three-day uh, winning streak there, which came to an end today. But we want to look back at the month, which is very important, Seth. And this is why it's important um, to stay invested, even towards uh, during periods of volatility. Uh, we did have all of the major indexes up sharply over the past month of uh, July. We had the S&P 500, uh, the, the NASDAQ, and the uh, Dow Jones. Uh, the, and actually, the NASDAQ was up over 12% just in the month of July. So if you were a little bit concerned about all the volatility, like many people have been, uh, you know, oftentimes what we do for our clients is we start to make some adjustments to their portfolios, but most often we are at least somewhat invested so we're able to take advantage of a recovery, as we saw, uh, in the month of July. Now, uh, of course, today, a little pullback, but uh, we had a lot of news last week you and I were talking oh, yeah. about. And uh, a lot of that news was more positive than we would have expected, mm-hmm. uh, which did end the month on a good note. Uh, but this week, we have some more news coming as well. We've got... Um, you know, employment numbers that we're going to be seeing this week, and that's going to be important to, to Pro- try to Probably understand. a decline, you think? Um, yeah, most most likely we're going to see that there might have been a little bit higher unemployment at this point, uh, but still nothing, uh, you know, in the numbers that we've seen in the past. So I still think that the Fed raising rates is, is starting to give an effect on the economy. We're starting to see a little bit of slowing down. Uh, but maybe not as much as the Fed would like up to this point yet. John, another uh, indicator of uh, the economy, home pricing. Yeah. The uh, story is that the prices are cooling. It's kind of interesting. You're you're finding kind of the uh, snapback to what we were facing, I don't know, a year or two years ago, mm-hmm. where uh, demand is uh, slowing down, but supply is kind of coming back, which was the opposite of the problem, right? Yeah, I mean, there's still a shortage of homes. Yeah. There's no question out there, and the cost uh, is still, uh, you know, higher. I think uh, it slowed down two percent. They said the average across the country uh, from 19.3 percent year over year to 17.3. Some markets uh, around the country have uh, maybe, you know, lost three or four uh, percent year over year. Uh, but generally speaking, this is probably. Um, you know, a temporary, I believe it's a little bit of a temporary uh, slowdown. I think it will begin to pick up again here. Interest rates have dropped about 1%. You know, they did peak out here about 6% in June, but now they're saying nationally they're lowered to about 5% for a traditional fixed 30-year mortgage. Uh, so 5% is still a reasonable rate, but it's still significantly higher than the 3% that we had uh, at the beginning of this past year. And a lot of that uh, hike can be attributed to some of the actions of the Fed that we've been discussing. No too, question. Right? No mm-hmm. question yeah. about it. The Fed raising rates has certainly had a big impact on mortgage rates. Um, but even with that, we are seeing uh, rates uh, you know, settle, settle a little bit lower than, than those highs of 6%. And we're seeing the 10-year Treasury yield also uh, pulling back a little bit here. So 
you know, rates are, have definitely uh, pulled back a little, even though the Fed has raised rates. So there's there's a little bit of a inconsistency going on right now. We're going to have to just wait and see what happens over the next couple of months. Thank you very much, John. You bet. Appreciate it. Good tour. Yeah, Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, member of Finra and Sipic, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Check our website out, grandcanyonplanning.com. You can request an appointment right there. It is a fun website. Yep. Thank you Thank very you. much, John. And I, of course, am Seth here at 602-508-0960. A lot more coming up and a few more things to say about Zawahiri's death. Uh, For example, what the heck was he doing in Kabul in the first place? Not even the mountains of Afghanistan. For didn't Joe Biden assure us al-Qaeda was not in Afghanistan anymore? Well, one less is, one fewer is, I should say. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. For those of you looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y-Refi. What they're offering is a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, as I say, run by really good people who are doing really well by doing good for others. And you can be, too. If you're interested in this, check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. They're based here locally. You can go and visit them. Bill is in Scottsdale. Hello, Bill. Well, hello, Seth. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Well, very good. Uh, I had uh, reacted a little bit to the uh, focus on electric vehicles. I'd like to take you into the world of reality here. Okay. Uh, I'm titling this Life Cycle Costing, okay. which is successful in air pollution. We're talking about these major fleet managers who are managing vehicles from 100 to thousands, and the old life cycle costing, the way they evaluate the vehicle, is first the cost of the vehicle, next the cost of fuel, then the cost of maintenance, and the resale value. This has been a real plus with the alternative fuels, and we're talking about a couple here that work very well for fleets. And of course, when we're talking about fleets, we're talking about uh, an awful lot of fuel, vehicles that... uh, get six miles per gallon and and run all day long. Um, As we look at the the opportunities in the heavy vehicles, it's probably natural gas and propane. And as you look at the cost of, of, uh, you know, the life cycle cost, uh, the alternative fuels are cleaner, which makes for cleaner engines, which makes for less maintenance, and a longer retention of the vehicle. Um, probably, um, Seth, and again, I don't want to take too long here, but um, school buses are a great example. Uh, Mesa Unified School District, uh, they run some 540 school buses uh, and about uh, 200 uh, white fleet, that's the service vehicles. Uh, they switched to propane um, because they were looking at someone realizing as the students 
queued up to get on the diesel bus, which was idling. They were gassing the kids. And there had to be a better way to do that. Um, we called on Mesa. Actually, we presented a, a plaque to them. And uh, the uh, propane buses are slightly more costly than the diesels, a couple thousand dollars. So we asked them if uh, you know, these savings in fuel and maintenance um, absorb that extra uh, premium. And they said yes in the first couple of months. Uh, it almost pays for the entire bus. And the larger takeaway point you're trying to make is what, Bill? Is that we are reducing pollution by miles, if you will, because they've gone from diesel, uh, which is a pollutant, uh, look at what VW had to overcome, uh, to a cleaner a propane fuel. And, so, uh, okay, so your pitch is what? That we should be more open to electric vehicles than we are? Not at all. I'm not speaking about... Uh, Give me your ultimate point here, because I'm not following it. I'm really sorry. It might be me. Okay. Um, comparing this to the... Uh, we displaced uh, 85 million gallons of petroleum fuel last year. Not a gallon of it. Help was, me out, Bill, on one thing. What is your main point? Main point is reducing the use of petroleum fuel and reducing pollution. Okay. I'll tell you something about the electric vehicle push um, that um, I uh, that I noticed yesterday. I was I was uh, at the mall for uh, a few different reasons, and there at the mall were one, two, three, four different electric vehicle manufacturers in the mall, and I I was just I had a few minutes, so I was I, I kind of took a look at at each of them. One of them I, I I knew pretty well. I didn't have to, but. Not that I own it, but I, I have friends that own it, so I, I know it pretty well. But I looked at these others, and what's interesting to me is I am finding um, a real disconnect between what the Biden administration says it's for and wants us as Americans to do with electric vehicles and what we can actually do with electric vehicles. First of all, if you can afford them. These cars are very expensive. Their starting prices and their bare bones uh, costs, uh, retail costs, are very expensive. I don't think I saw anything for under a starting price of sixty thousand, and that's at the barest of minimum bones to purchase one. The second thing, and this was true of all of them, is they're not ready to buy. You cannot go in there and buy it right now. There's waiting lists. There's production waiting lists that are months long, months long. And then this odd thing that I this there's no real argument about this. It's just an odd thing. It's really hard to test if you're interested. You have to make an appointment days in advance to do so because they're put in these malls and they're put in these very high-end malls with very high-end stores, which kind of gives you an indication, I guess, of who the target market audience is. So when this administration goes to war against the fossil fuels needed to run most of the cars, who is it they're out there helping? They're not reestablishing the notion that they're not on the side of the elites. Um some of these cars are gorgeous looking, of course, and some of them 
perhaps I guess it's a feature of all of them, can go extremely fast and have an, a, you know, a, an incredible zero to 60 or an incredible acceleration rate. Incredible. Um, and maybe that's fun for a day. Maybe it's fun for more days. Maybe you're tired of the gas station completely and you have the disposable income and the time and patience to wait for three months to get one. And all well and good. It just seems to me there's something not only elitist about this, there's something that doesn't address the immediate need of all of this when you have expense and waiting times. It's almost like a bad joke. The food here is so bad, and yes, such small portions too, as the old uh, Woody uh, Woody Allen line goes. And then there's this other thing I was trying to put my finger on with you all last week, which is, as Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Secretary Yellen, and others keep telling us about they wanting to transform our energy needs because they are trying to transform the economy. We're in a moment of transition. It makes me afraid. It makes me very afraid because I see in that and in this high cost of energy that they've given to us, that they have forced upon us, that they have foisted upon us. I see I see it as yet taking away one more thing that spells American freedom to a lot of people. Americans love their cars. Americans love their independence. They love the independence of their cars. They love the sound. They love the engineering. They love the tools. They love the fixing. They love the competition. And that's just not what you can do with these electric vehicles, any part of it. It seems like just one more elitist step to deprive Americans of something that serves as a symbol of their ingenuity, freedom, and success. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day for energy, health, and immunity. It boosts and lifts them all 100% natural from the capsule to the ingredients. The ingredients are are a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables, 100% pure using their cold press process. And those capsules, easy to swallow, but some people don't like swollen capsules, so they're designed to be easily opened and you can sprinkle the ingredients in food or drink. You can even just chew on them. It's perfectly fine to do that as well. You can take them every day and you are good to go. I've never taken a better product. Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. One of the, um, one of the uh, great, uh, great alumni of the Trump administration who really deserves credit for being the ter- the first to expose uh, what the FBI was doing in the 2016 election. He'll be joining us at the top of the next hour, and that's uh, Kash Patel, former uh, chief of staff, uh, former chief of staff to the uh, Secretary of um, Defense under President Donald Trump. Kash Patel, you're not going to want to uh, you're not going to want to miss that. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the race for attorney general here in Arizona. And uh, having served uh, the Secretary of Defense, we'll get his thoughts as well on uh, on uh, the killing of uh, uh, al-Zawahiri. Uh, if you missed that news, Ayman al-Zawahiri has been taking out, taken out by a U.S. drone strike. Uh, he, for those that can't, 
place or picture him if you're just uh, listening uh, in the car or mobily. He was the physician who was the number two of al-Qaeda. He was bin Laden's physician. He was also bin Laden's teacher. He had been part and parcel of all the various, not all, but many of the various precursor organizations to al-Qaeda. This man was everywhere in the terrorist world from the 1970s onward. Yes, 1970s onward. The most interesting uh, part of him being taken out today are A, where he was, which was the capital city of Afghanistan, not even in the hills or mountains, as a friend of mine uh, was uh, tweeting about, but in the capital city where Joe Biden promised us there was no al-Qaeda anymore. And the other is the whitewashing of the toxic ideology he represented which was radical Islam. You will not find the word Islam or Muslim in any of the reports I, that you will watch or read. You just won't. It's been cleansed totally, sanitized completely from the bio- biography, as if ideology doesn't matter and this was just some kind of one-off ma- mean man. Well, it wasn't, and there is an ideology, and taking one out won't end the ideology. We still have an ideological war to, be, to, to, to face and to battle and to fight. And God hopefully win. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.